And now we're beginning a new series in Philippians. So let's look at Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that through your word today that our love will abound, that it will be tempered with knowledge and discernment. Give wisdom to Andrew as he brings your word to us today. Through your spirit, let your word, your word pierce our heart and let us be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Eight days, whoa. Uh, <laughs> eight days ago, we were commemorating or remembering the attacks on the World Trade Center that happened 20 years ago. Uh, I don't know exactly what you all's interaction with that was. There were various news stories and accounts, recountings of uh, stories that came out during that time. One I listened to was uh, by a man named Hans Kunin. Kunin uh, was here from Australia, from Sydney. He was part of a finance conference at the World Trade Center. As such, he was in the building uh, on the morning that the towers were struck uh, on the first floor. So after the North Tower was struck, they were all evacuated out of the, the building, and they were standing outside kind of wondering, A, what had happened. You know, they could see smoke coming out of the tower, uh, but they weren't completely sure at that time what had happened uh, until they saw the plane that came in right over their heads and, and strike the South Tower. Um, you know, and just imagine the, the devastation. Some of you remember watching that on television um, and, and just seeing all of the debris and the smoke and bodies. And I mean, it was just such an intense thing. But 
Kunin was there, and you know, folks there were just thinking, what, what do we do? Uh, there were some, as Dr. Doriani uh, mentioned last week, that were going up the towers looking to save those. Others were trying to find their way. He eventually found his way to the Staten Island Ferry. Uh, he had lost all of his stuff, his passport, and everything was still in the hotel. Didn't know, didn't have a plan, didn't know anybody in the area. And so there he was alone on the Staten Island Ferry uh, where he met Leslie DeFrates. She has been riding the Staten Island Ferry at that point for 40 years of her life. Uh, She had never been asked to put on a life jacket before. Uh, And as she put on this life jacket, one of her earrings fell off. Uh, Kunin, who was next to her, grabbed the earring and said, ma'am, I I think you dropped your earring. Uh, And this is, of course, in the midst of of smoke and dust and all of the things that are happening. And she says, uh, she noticed his badge, realized he was from Sydney, and she said, are you alone here? Why don't you come and stay at our house? There's so many stories, but what struck me about this one was just in the midst of chaos, people caring for each other. A dropped earring. Here you are, ma'am. You you dropped your earring. Uh, Notice that this person is alone, away from home. Do Do you need a place to stay? And I think this is one of the the beautiful things that we can connect to in our lives for in very different way than 2001, 9-11, the striking of the tower, we all experience chaos in our life. We all experience those moments when the towers of our lives have been struck and we are in chaos. And we need somebody to reach into that. We need ordinary kindness. We need an invitation. We need warmth, welcome. We need connection. And the reason why I say that is because as we move into Philippians... What we see is just that. We see connection. We see partnership in the gospel, as Paul says. Uh, We see a a fellowship uh, with one another, with the overseers, with the deacons. We see this idea of being partakers of grace. Perhaps you were struck as we were reading through this, just the way Paul talked about his affection for the Philippians. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, you're partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all of the affections of Christ. It's such a, a letter of solidarity. It's such a letter of of people coming together in the midst of 
difficult times. We, we know this is true certainly in Paul's life as well as in the Philippians' life. Uh, Philippi is one of the leading cities uh, of Greece, what we now call Greece. It was then called Macedonia. It was the first church that Paul ever planted on the European continent. Uh, so those of you who have European backgrounds, you're, you're connected in some way with the, the church of Philippi as the gospel moved in to reclaim hearts in Europe. Uh, Philippi was a leading city. It was a Roman colony. Uh, if you've been following along with the devotionals that we sent out this week, there was sort of a prologue to Philippians that you saw in Acts chapter 16. We got to meet some of the charter members of the church, the uh, Lydia, the, the seller of purple, the merchant, the Roman jailer who, uh, after Paul's imprisonment, said, you know, what must I do to be saved? The slave girl who was uh, delivered from a demon. Uh, all of these folks were the, the ones who comprised the Philippian church. And now, 10 years later, 10 years after the planting of that church, Paul is most likely in prison in Rome. I say most likely. There's some debate whether he was in Caesarea or Rome, but I, I think most of this good scholarship comes down on the side of Rome. Uh, so he was, a number of years later, imprisoned in Rome, and he's still connected to this church. This church is still involved in his life. And Paul is still yearning for them with all the affections of Christ. That, that word there, the affections of Christ, is actually, uh, in the old King James, it's translated bowels. Uh, the, the viscera. I mean, there is a gut connection between Paul and these Philippians. And, and what I want to do over the next, what we want to do over the next several weeks is work out like what, what is this connection? What is the basis of this solidarity? How does it get worked out? How does it get worked out in good times? How does it get worked out in bad times? How does, how does the gospel transform us? When we're partakers of grace, how does it transform us that we are brought together uh, in such a close-knit bond. Uh, what are the things that threaten it? How do we speak to those things? So that's what's going to be our focus over the next several weeks as we walk through the book of, Philipp uh, the book of Philippians. Today what I want to do is just sort of ground it. It's interesting, uh, J.W. Thompson in his book called Preaching Like Paul, uh, he, he points out that Paul's epistles follow rhetorical form. So, you know, when we approach the Scriptures, oftentimes we think of these as letters and we think about writing. That, that may not be the entirely correct way to think about this. You, you know that most of Paul's letters were, were read to people. They were uh, given to them in oral form. So when they, when they would come into contact with them, it wasn't through reading like we have it. It was actually through listening. And so Paul follows a rhetorical form. So in many respects, when you read Philippians, the better way to think about it as opposed to a letter is actually a sermon. Uh, this is Paul's oral 
giving things to this congregation. So what we're going to do is, is study this, this sermon of Paul's as we go forward. And the reason why I bring that up now is that sermons have an introduction. We're still in my introduction, by the way. Uh, sermons have an introduction, and, and today we're coming to Paul's introduction. And in the introduction, what you want to do is you want to lay out sort of the themes that you're going to follow throughout the course of your sermon. So it's really important because Paul is grounding his message in the gospel, and then he's giving hints as to what are going to be developed over the course of the message as we read through the book. So today, what we want to do is we want to really soak ourselves in the grounding that Paul gives us, and then we want to notice some of the themes that are going to be developed as we go in the upcoming weeks. So today, I have three observations for you. I have graces for, or the gospel formation, gospel evocation, gospel transformation. What is the nature of our connection? What is the product of our connection? And then finally, what is the hope of our connection? And I'll tell you, they're going to be long, medium, and short. Uh, we're going to spend the most time in the first one, the nature of our connection. And we really get it in the first couple of verses here in Philippians. You know, we read through these so often very quickly. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, epistolary form, so there was some letter form here in Paul's thing. He introduces himself. Uh, in case you don't know who I am, my name is Paul. Uh, I'm along with Timothy, and I'm the one who is going to be bringing you the message today. We usually sign our letters at the end. They started them in the beginning. Actually seems kind of smart. Uh, but we kind of read over this, and we think, well, it's just greetings. But I want you to notice uh, how much we can learn from this greeting. And one of the things I really like about this passage, 1 to 11, is uh, this is going to be really exciting for you grammar nerds here. Uh, you can learn a lot from the, pre uh, from the prepositions. Uh, notice the prepositions just at the very beginning of these verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just highlight a couple of them. In. Paul uses this preposition and, and this uh, idea, not always specifically in Christ, sometimes he uses the construction in him, to talk about a Christian's identity. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is not your job. Your identity is not uh, anything else. It's, it's not your hobby. It's not your sin. It's not your strength. It's not any of these things. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. 66 times uh, throughout his letters, Paul uses this construction. And so as he is coming to the, the people in Philippi, and again, we'll, we'll talk about this in just a minute. This is a very diverse group uh, it, it was a pluralistic group, at least at its out, 
outset and its origin, uh, in terms of who they worshipped, where they came from, all of these different things. He is saying the number one thing that identifies you is who you are in. You are in Christ Jesus. And as a result of being in Christ Jesus, as a result of your identity, you have a calling to be servants of Christ Jesus. Your identity moves forward into your calling. You, you, have, a, you have a propelling, you have a, a compelling, and that is to serve, be servants of Christ Jesus, even to the point of laying down your life, as we're going to see. He talks about Epaphroditus later on in chapter 2, and how Epaphroditus served Christ to such a degree that he almost gave his life for it. But you are not alone in this. You do it with one another, with the overseers and the deacons, with one another. Talk about that in just a minute. And you do it with the resources that are to you, grace and peace, to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. So you, you are in Christ Jesus for the purpose of serving Christ Jesus with the resources from Christ Jesus. And specifically, he says, grace and peace to you from Christ Jesus, right? So, grace and peace, there is a, there's a significance to this. Grace is the way that the Greeks would ordinarily greet one another, charis. I know we have some charises in the congregation. You know, that idea, grace to you. And then peace, peace was the way that the Hebrews would normally greet one another, shalom. Uh, so grace and peace, there is this uh, holistic binding together. And, and what Paul says is that these things are to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. There is something that God is doing in your life and in your midst as you are rooted in Him, your identity, as you are seeking to live out your calling, serving Him, all of our primary calling, and you're doing it from the resources that God gives you. Just a couple of observations here. Uh, first of all, this is the gospel. Uh, this is the gospel in totality. We've barely made it into Philippians, uh, and already we see the thing that draws us together. This is what gives us solidarity. It's not what we have done, but it's what Christ has done in us. Notice verse 6. Verse 6 is such an important verse for the book of Philippians. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. God, in his mercy, in his grace, has moved towards us in such a way uh, that he has given us a new identity, he's given us a primary calling, and he's given us the resources to fulfill that calling. Uh, as we approach this book, we understand that, that this is who Paul is, is talking to, and he calls us saints. He calls us the holy ones, the set-apart ones. Now, 
is that based on each individual in Philippi's human sort of endeavors? Oftentimes when we use the word saint, we, we think about, you know, a long deceased person who was somehow venerated for, uh, you know, great levels of piety in their life. But Paul doesn't use the word saint this way. He applies it to the Philippian church, uh, the people who have received the grace of Christ in their lives and, and who God has moved and brought them into fellowship with himself. This, this is the gospel. And this is central to who we are at Christ Church. I mean, just as central as it was to the folks at, at Philippi and their need to be reminded of that, the need for them to stand where they were in order that it would propel them into loving one another, this is where we're standing too. And this is what we're inviting everybody to experience, to open themselves up to, to surrender to the grace and the peace that come from God through Jesus Christ, as we see towards the end of our little section today, through Jesus, uh, to open ourselves up to it and receive that. It's very different than, than religion, religion which says work, work harder, uh, try more, do, do more, make yourselves righteous. What Paul here is talking about is a gospel that was begun by the Lord, came into their hearts, and has transformed them and is in the process of transforming them. I mentioned some of the charter members uh, of the Philippian church. You, you really get a sense of the church, when you go back to Acts chapter 16 and you read through, you had Lydia, uh, who was a merchant. She was of the wealthy class. She had a house big enough, you know, to house the, the, the folks who were visiting in that area. It was the place where the church began. They began meeting in their home. You had a slave girl who was oppressed by a demon. She was young. Uh, she was oppressed. She had nothing to offer economically, socially, any of these types of things. Uh, you had a Roman soldier who was a jailer, probably somewhat retired Roman soldier, had some status within the civilization, within the polis, um, probably was involved in uh, imperial emperor worship, all of the things that went along with that. And these are the three people that form the backbone of the Philippian church. And it's so interesting, when you read Acts 16, you, you see this idea of he who began a good work, you know, in the person of Lydia. You know, what does it tell us? You know, Paul meets them out by the river, they're praying, she was religious, but she did not know Jesus. She was religious, but she did not have a saving relationship until the Lord opened her heart. And this is actually the verse that we had in mind when we named our, our daughter Lydia. Uh, you know, our, our prayer that the Lord would open her heart in the way that the Lord does. He goes and he, he opens the hearts of people so that they can believe. One of the writer puts it 
this way, this anarchomai, opening of the heart, points to a decisive and a deliberative act on the part of God. Here was something planned and executed to perfection. Lydia exactly illustrates the inauguration of a good work. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. It was the Lord who began the good work. This is the true inner story of every single conversion. It is the work of God originating before the foundation of the world, before he chose us in Christ. And this is our prayer for every person that's here today, is that the Lord would do that work of opening our hearts. And if you feel like you're somehow in a position where the Lord has not opened your heart, that's the prayer. You know, Lord, open my heart. You know, help me to surrender the things that I'm holding on to, the things that I have put above you. Sometimes there are things that we can easily categorize as evil. They can be, uh, you know, ways that we're trying to find our own happiness in, in a secular sort of worldly sort of way. Other times, though, like Lydia, our heart is blocked, not because we're pursuing all bad things, but because we're pursuing the wrong religious things. And some of you may be in that case as well. You're trying to prove your own righteousness. But unless the Lord opens your heart to receive his righteousness, to ground you in him. And this is the group then that Paul is, you learn a lot about a church from its charter members. I mean, we, we have noticed that around here, some of the folks that have been around so long, the welcoming spirit, uh, the desire to, to, to love the Lord, and they continue to infuse this church with a character, uh, with, a, uh, with an ethos. And the same is true in this Philippian church. And Paul is saying, I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you saints. I'm writing to you who have been transformed by the gospel. I'm writing to you that you would continue to persevere in this even as I see you have been doing. So that's the, the gospel foundation. And again, this is the intro to the sermon. Not my sermon today, that's point one. Uh, but it's the intro to the Philippian sermon, and we're going to come back to this theme over and over and over again, but it's important that we have it in our minds and in our hearts who it is that Paul is writing to and what he is assuming that they are about, what he is assuming is the basis or the formation of their community, their connection in the midst of a broken world. Secondly, what does it, it draw forth, both from Paul and from the Philippians? I want to just make two observations here. The first, if you look at verse 3, I, I think you see what it draws forth from Paul. Three things. Uh, let's read the verse. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until the last. Three things. One, prayer. When we are grounded in the gospel, uh, in Christ, with the community that he has given to us, prayer will be the result. Prayer for one another. 
uh, prayer that, that beseeches on behalf of one another. Certainly the Philippians have been doing that for Paul as he is in prison in Rome, uh, chained to the imperial guard. We'll hear more about that as we go throughout the book of Philippians. Uh, his prayer for them as they are facing external opposition. We'll talk about that as they are facing internal strife. There are folks there that aren't agreeing with one another. Paul will call them out by name in his sermon. I'm not going to start that, uh, but uh, Paul does. Uh, and, you know, so he's praying for them. They're praying for him. And notice the character of his prayers. His prayers are characterized by two things. Do you see it? Thanksgiving and joy. Thanksgiving and joy are the two things that characterize his prayers. Now, I'm sure there are things that he is frustrated with. I'm sure there are things they are frustrated with him about. They, after all, haven't seen him for a while. Uh, but what he says is, when I pray for you, my united in Christ sisters and brothers, when I pray for you, when I pray for you, the overwhelming emotion, the overwhelming thought that comes out in my mind is thanksgiving and joy. Uh, and I think this is so instructive. When we, when we find ourselves rooted in the gospel, when we are living with the resources of the gospel or from Christ Jesus, grace and peace, we see that thanksgiving and joy go along with that. Uh, so folks that we disagree with, uh, the, because we are rooted together in Christ, because we have that solidarity, my, my heart's sort of leaping when I think of you is thanks and joy. And, and, and this is what the gospel invites us to. I, I think this is just such a beautiful picture in the face of a world that we often live in where there's so much fighting, where there's so much anxiousness, where there's so much um, wanting to prove your own position, where there's so much frustration and just a, a, a downright demeaning of people that we are united to in Christ. The opposite of that is what Paul is putting forward to us is thanksgiving and joy. How does that look in our life? How do we, how do we begin to play that out? First of all, don't aim for thanks and joy. Like, that is not what we, we need to be aiming at. What you need to be aiming at is Jesus. What you need to be aiming at is all that stuff that we talked in the beginning, in, of, and from. That's what you need to be aiming at. But when we are truly aiming at that, and when that becomes the foundation of who we are, the results will be thanksgiving and joy. So if you spend some time evaluating your life, and as Jerry so ably led us in confession this morning, you know, even just his own interactions with folks and, and how that, that brings angst into his life, when we see that, it's not, well, i got to try harder to be joyful or thankful. No, I, I need to go back to Jesus, and I need to remember that my identity is in him. 
And I need to remember that he gives me grace and peace. It's interesting, and we've noted this before. Whenever you study Paul's letters, at the beginning of his letters, he always says, grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the end of his letters, do you remember how he ends it? He says, grace be with you. So it's almost like in his sermon, he's saying, okay, here you are. I am going to bring you grace and peace. It's coming to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as you go out, it's grace with you. It goes with you into your life. And this is then what transforms our interactions with one another that allows them to be full of prayer, thanksgiving, and joy. Notice, too, the other side of this. This is Paul's uh, sort of, you know, what, what the gospel evokes in Paul as he thinks about the Philippians. But the Philippians also are, are transformed by the gospel, uh, especially in the area of generosity. Uh, this is occasion. Paul is in prison. Prisons aren't like they are today. They aren't obligated to give you three squares and a bed. Uh, they, you are dependent on other folks to bring you food. You're dependent on all of these things for your life. And so uh, Paul is visited by Epaphroditus, who is a messenger from uh, Philippi to him in Rome. They brought a gift for him. But this wasn't the only time that they were involved in giving. If you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, listen to what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church as he's asking them to contribute in an offering for the famine. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. This is Philippi, right? For in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." You notice what the gospel evokes from the Philippians is just this overflowing of generosity, this overflowing of care for people that they may not even know. We see this, they're overflowing of care for the Philippians or for Paul while he's in jail. They're overflowing of care for all of these folks who are in a part of a world that is very different from them, but because they are in Christ. Because they know the gospel, it, it draws from them this overflow of generosity. This is very similar to what Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Uh, if we are drawing our strength, you know, we're like that tree that the choir sung about at the very beginning. We're like that tree that's planted by the waters. We're drawing our resources from Christ the fruit that it bears, joy, thanksgiving, prayer, generosity, all of these things come to mark Paul and his relationship with the, the Philippian church. Last thing I just want to mention, and I really am going to spend almost zero time about it, is that there is this continued hope, uh, this continued 
process that Paul is praying for, verses 9 to 11. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Same idea that we've been talking about to the glory and the praise of God. Here Paul is, 10 years into his relationship with this Philippian church, and he's continuing to pray that they would grow. He's continuing to pray that they collectively, Paul himself included, that, they would, that their love would abound more and more. There is a particular construction there that uh, makes this uh, ever-increasing sort of idea that is being purported. And that's what Paul is praying for the Philippian church. And that's why we're here studying this letter as well. We, we live in a world in which our towers have been struck. We live in a world that is filled with chaos. It's filled with fragmentation. The bodies are around us figuratively and literally in so many ways. Paul says, I yearn for you with the affections of Christ. I am praying that our love would abound more and more as we look toward the day of Christ that is to come. And the invitation for each of us here this morning is that we would find ourselves with our hearts open, surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, committed to working it out together as we seek to follow Him. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the invitation that it is for each of us to find our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be found in him through that work in which you, the work which you have begun. Father, I I pray for each individual here that they would hear and understand uh, that call that they would grow in all knowledge and discernment, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we, we do pray for this particular local body of people that you have brought together, different in so many ways, um, but united in the Lord Jesus. Help us to show forth that partnership in the gospel, even as we seek to grow and to uh, to wait the day of Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.